This special Edge of NFT Asia Roadshow Tour Edition is sponsored by our friends at Casper Association. They oversee the evolution of the Casper network, a blockchain supporting innovative tech giants, as well as decentralized applications and platforms, and featuring both upgradable smart contracts and predictable gas fees. They also have a great new show called Casper Blockchain Podcast. You can check out on Spotify or by visiting casper.network and clicking on news. Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our live in Seoul, Korea edition of Edge of NFT. This is Josh Krieger, and I am here with two really interesting gentlemen talking about sort of the mental health and art intersection space. I had a chance to meet Mikolai. He's actually one of the first people I met when I got here to Korea Blockchain Week Impact at the Shilla. And then I got a chance to sort of learn all the serendipity around what you guys are doing in the space. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was really amazing to meet you at the entrance of the crowded conference room. Yeah, right away. Serendipity and energy, that's what it's all about. So let me give folks a little bit about your backgrounds, and then we'll kind of get into the conversation. Mikolai is the founder and CEO of Impact One, and inspired by his passion for architecture, sustainability, and city planning, he established the Therm Art, a dynamic platform that stimulates dialogue and fosters innovation within these realms. He's also formed and is leading the One Health Research Center to research and develop evidence-based standards and impact evaluation for nature-positive city infrastructure. Really cool. And Nabil is the founder of Metaphor Capital. He's a serial entrepreneur with multiple exits that seeded several successful companies as well as private investments funding with outstanding returns. That's always good when you're investing in companies. Everyone wants outstanding returns. He's a limited partner in a lot of funds, including A16Z, Borderless Capital, Double Down Fund. And he's also founded and launched multiple VC funds, including Fuel Venture Capital, as well as Metaphor Capital. And he's a strategic advisor to several high-growth startups, including Cogni, a leading fintech banking and lifestyle company, also a prominent NFT collector with sizable holdings across multiple collections. And you've invested in AI, which is really cool as well. We have a new podcast, Edge of AI, okay. so might have to talk about that as well. Yuga Labs, Quick Node, just to name a few of the many things that keep you pretty busy. So really fortunate to sort of have a chance to get to know you guys. And one of our main focus will be Impact One, which is an impact investment initiative dedicated to restoring a balance between nature and urban life create nature-positive economies, and Impact One is establishing a new asset class of infrastructure that places interconnected human and environmental well-being at its core under the name of well-being infrastructure. So pretty profound goal and mission. Would love to sort of understand a little bit more of the history and how you got to this point where we're looking at this beautiful art exhibition in Seoul, Korea, with a view outside the window of this presidential suite on the 22nd floor. So thank you so much. There's a lot to unpack because it's not obvious, but we started uh, like the company that is at the very core of our business activity. 
It's a quite big developer of well-being centers. So it's Thermal Group and Thermal Group became one of the most successful redevelopers of urban life. Because urban life, you know, since if you can go back to Pompeii, basically, and you see that our cities were always made out of stone. But it should have been made out of nature, right? Because our original environment is not stone. Our original environment is nature and it's everything what is... And what is nature? Nature is 85% of all biomass on the planet is plants. So we need plants to thrive. Plants are something that were in our direct environment for 10,000 of years. And then we just removed all of this completely. And we think that we can be in an environment, even like this presidential suite, is not our natural environment. We need the invisible part of nature, the part that comes with biodiversity, with microbiome, with clean air, extremely important. All is produced by a specific environment that can be scientifically, this is the evidence-based part, analyzed. And it is what our One Health Research Center is doing. So we're working with different institutions like Johns Hopkins, like the Helmholtz Society, like the MIT, on establishing the right parameters for human bodies to thrive in the right environment. And one thing that we basically discovered very early is that one of the biggest disruptors of our biological life is what we call culture, because all our activity is at the end cultural activity. So all our programs, what we're eating, how we're living in communities, how we're building and creating our environment is uh, programmed by culture. So there is a big, basically, software that is a part of our everyday reality that is unfortunately based on a fundamental flow, on the idea that we humans are the center of the universe and we can remove everything else, do everything artificially, and then we will still survive. That is not possible. So the only reason why we are obviously surviving on this planet is that there is still nature. If we would remove all nature, we would be with Elon Musk on the way to Mars <laughs> with the big problem that we need to terraform. So when we talk about creating the right environment, is this sort of using all the senses in terms of the right atmosphere, the right smells, the right lighting, the right sort of exposure to technology and sort of the rays that emit from technology. Is technology allowed to be part of the equation or is this about getting away from being so attached to our phones and other electronic devices? So that's really a very good question. It's at the core of the problem, basically. We believe that technology now reaches the grade of complexity that allows this technology to reconnect us to nature because nature is technology. If you look at a tree, a tree is 10,000 times more complex than any human technology. There's math built into sort of biology and there's math built into computer programming. I mean, we know today that a tree is a quantum biological machine because photosynthesis this is what created our atmosphere in the first place. So, you know, if you go back 500 million years, we have only 5% oxygen in the atmosphere. The 21% we are having now was all created by the most complex technology we have on Earth. These are plants. But we are not using this technology. In our economical system, you go back to Adam Smith, the wave of nations. The moment where we value nature is when we transform it with human labor. This is where... We attach to the 
resources that we call resources, natural resources, are value. So uh, the paradox, of course, that a tree is valued more in the form of a table than in the form of a tree. But the tree, if we would be able to reverse engineer a tree, that would be basically the highest grade of technology we would have. So the good news is that technology is now enabling us to understand nature and to connect to nature on a much more profound level. So, Nabil, obviously this is a noble cause and it's excited to think about the potential here as a consumer and beneficiary of this research. What's the ROI from your perspective and and sort of did you see this as sort of short, midterm, long-term? How does it sort of compare to your normal investment thesis? No, it's a good question. I think the way we look at it is we're living in a very, I would say, the most exciting time in human history, right? So 50 million years, the human brain hasn't gone an upgrade, right? But we, like Nikolai said, we've been able to build all these exponential technologies that are now finally kind of all building on top of each other in what we call like S-curves, right? So everything from computing power to video power to robotics to AI, like we were discussing earlier, right? We're finally at this point now, combining with the blockchain, that we're able to build pieces of art like we're seeing today that would not have been possible even three or four or five years ago, right? So from an investment perspective, our thesis was very simple. It's, can we invest in things that are going to be culturally redefining, right? Because that's what becomes extremely valuable in the future, right? So my background is actually not art. Right. My background is more tech, right? Which was what it was before. And then obviously got into crypto and then collecting sneakers or other things. So when this whole NFT boom began, the way I looked at it was this was finally a way for people like me who were never into the art world, never had access to it before or was not part of your culture. It was finally becoming a part of culture of people all around the world because of the democratization of the technology. So from a fun perspective, our thesis was invest in these culturally redefining pieces and basically curate, right? Like the best things that are happening with this technology on the digital asset space that are going to become extremely valuable in the future. And Rafiq, as an artist, is a mathematician, right? At the end of the day, my background is math. And Rafiq, I think, has been discussing is going to be, you know, the Monet of this era. Absolutely. And I heard Daniel, the CEO of Yuga Labs, talk earlier today and his sort of mission with Yuga is culture on the blockchain, right? So similar theme and noble objective. So there's an exhibition here we'll get into, but this isn't your first collaboration with Rafiq. Can you sort of talk a little bit about how you all intersected and what led to the exhibition that we get to see here in Seoul? And then we'll kind of go into the sort of basis of that particular exhibition. I met Rafiq the first time on a panel that was created by Hans-Ulrich Obrist and myself at the Venice Architecture Biennale. Venice, like Italy? Venice, Italy, yeah. Like this is the big Biennale. It's one year is architecture, the other year is art. We started our art program, Terme Art, in 2017 and became like a major player in supporting like the Biennale, the institutions like the Serpentine in UK. So really trying to see how we can support the art 
that is and the culture production that is basically trying to heal this fundamental flow we talked about. So culture that is not destructive, but that is constructive towards nature, that tries to establish a homoestasis with nature, so a balanced, basically, system. And we created this under the well-being culture. So how culture can actually provide well-being instead of providing a hostile environment. And Hans Ulrich Oberst invited then Rafik Anadol that I met literally on the panel that I moderated. And he started to speak. And I was like, I don't understand any word. <laughs> literally, I had no idea what he's talking about because this was like 2019. And he came from this blockchain world, from this NFT world. And I had no idea. He was thinking about NFTs and blockchain in his own way back in 19. Yeah, so about AI, about NFTs. So for me, this was completely new. But I sense, and he was sitting, you know, among these people that I was talking every day to the established artists and architects. And suddenly he was like an outlier. But interesting on this panel, we had also the famous indigenous rights activist Nina Gualinga and the famous botanist Stefano Mancuso. The botanist that proved that plants are intelligent systems that are basically AI, but NI, so nature intelligence. And suddenly between this three and also some others was such an interesting conversation that somehow we sensed that, you know, that belongs together. And then we started to work with Rafik Anandol and then became like a success story for all involved parties. So it led us to visit the indigenous tribe of the Yawanawa last year in the state of Accra. So you need to rent a plane, you need to go three hours on the plane, then you go four hours on the car and then 10 hours on the river. And then you are in the heart of the biggest treasure we are having on the planet. It's the treasure of our biodiversity. This is where all the informations are stored since 500 million years that are really relevant for our survival on the planet and for our direct environment. Amazing. So fast forward, we have this showcase today in Seoul called Sense of Healing, and it embodies the coalescence of art and technology, its ability to insight collective renewal and connection, it's a beautiful exhibit. You were telling me about it earlier, and we'll sort of share it with our listeners and do some filming out there to show everyone. But sort of what was the inspiration behind this exhibit, and sort of how does it connect to sort of the world of Web3? So the connection to Web3, I, I will let Nabil speak, but the sense of healing was an artwork that was meant basically to open the human brain and to let the human brain interact with itself. Because one of our biggest problems is that all the mental health debate is a little bit assured, right? Because we don't really know. It's not really scientific. We don't see into the brain. It's a little bit like the medicine in the 12th century before it was allowed by the religion, by the churches to open the body and basically the <laughs> doctors were guessing. Yeah, the brain is still a black box, relatively speaking. It's a black box that we are now starting to matter. So what we have created is an initiative called MIND together with MindMaze. MindMaze is a leading neuroscience company and they provided us brain data of 10,000s of patients and Rafik used with AI this brain data to visualize it. And this is a very strong moment because suddenly you're standing in front of a data sculpture that is relevant because its purpose is to show you how the healing process of our brain is created. It's incredible. It's one of a kind. And you can talk a little bit about the Web3 component? 
Yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, the Rafik has always been into data and AI and math. And I think the ability now for him to take this data set and use his algorithms to interpret it into art that's on the blockchain is very unique, right? So the ability to kind of have this asset decentralized, right? And now accessible to the rest of the world is to us was extremely powerful, right? So I think the blockchain enabled this work to actually become what it is, right? So if you think about our, like back in the old, old days, it was commissioned by a very specific few people, right? And it was stored in their homes and houses and nobody else could see it, right? And now we're here where everybody can basically look at what is now this culturally redefining piece because of the blockchain. So is this a one-of-one? And I guess, where do the plans go from here with Sense of Healing? So Sense of Healing is a one-on-one. In a traditional way, it's like a painting or like a sculpture. There's an artist proof also that is very important in the traditional art world to have this accessibility. But in today's world, it's exactly what Nabil said, that we created also an edition. So this work is based on five chapters Basically, the mind from depression to happiness. Yeah. And for every chapter, we have basically an addition of 20. And now the interesting thing is that everybody can see it, access it, be in a dialogue with the work and also understand the purpose. At the same time, there is a clear ownership. So ownership and the presentation of the work can be divided and the presentation can be much, much more accessible than in the traditional art world. And this is the one thing. And the other thing is that the next step of sense of feeling will be an interaction. So the work will interact with the viewer. At least this is our plan. And we realized already a few installations that allow this because today you have the technology to read the brain waves, to read certain bioparameters. And our idea that we talk about it with Rafik is to create maybe a space. I cannot say too much yeah. about it, but to create a space where you would basically get instant neural feedback. So basically you go into the space and now imagine you're meditating. And while you're meditating, the space takes your brainwaves and it's changing. So you can have a support of your meditation. The sound can support you. The visuals can support you. And you can basically see what is happening inside. And that's a little bit where we want to go with. I've been familiar with biofeedback for a long time. And this is sort of the evolution of that in a really interesting way. Well, I'm excited to see the exhibition tonight as well. And where can folks learn more about Impact One and Sense of Healing? Twitter, website? Yes, yeah, so well, we have a website, impact.one. And as this is an umbrella company, we have like all the different companies where we are engaged under this. So you can basically then be linked to the different initiatives. Exciting. I feel like we just sort of glanced the surface of how much you guys are doing to sort of impact the world and uh, would love to sort of talk more on Edge of AI at some point in the near future and sort of cover that side of things. But for now, thank you both for your time today and um, excited to see the exhibition and wish you the best for what you're doing to make the world a better, happier place. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or... Have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? 
And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. Hi, everyone. Josh Krieger here live in Seoul, Korea at a very special place. I think this is called Sky Kingdom. My guest here is going to tell me a little bit more about this venue. It's been an action-packed week, as it is with the world of Web3. The fun things really happen at night, and we have the launch party of Super Chief's new marketplace, which is long-awaited. Eric Choi from Diane's going to tell me a little bit more about it. He's the founder and CEO. Eric, great to be up here at the top of Seoul with you. Yeah, pleasure. I guess I'll answer the first question first, which is where we are. So we're at a hotel called Seoul Dragon City. It's been a landmark next to Yongtan, the Itaewon area, where the U.S. military base used to be be before it was moved to Osan. It's a very interesting spot. I am tied to this venue because the first after party I ever ran in crypto back in 2015, and this is where I did the first event. Let's talk about what you guys have been busy building together, you and Ed, at Super Cheap. Yeah. So I'll give you a rundown of myself and Diet. So I've been in the crypto space for about eight, nine years now. This is my end of my third cycle, I would say. I run a Web3 Venture Studio based in Seoul called Diant, which I started in 2020. We're a 10-person team that's based locally that's a completely international team in terms of cultural and diversity boundaries, and we like to build cool shit. When we spoke to Ed during NFT Korea Festival back in March, and we were talking, and he had generally talked about a marketplace. I had a catch-up call with him. We really hit it off and had a lot of philosophy and ethos in common. And I asked him about his marketplace and how it was going. And I guess some of the people before were not as satisfactory in whether it was in philosophy or vision alignment. So I saw a very interesting opportunity and as invested in the art space as I can be, but less in the NFT space. My team has been working more on DeFi protocol infrastructure and stuff like that. In the middle of that, we were actually working on a new ERC standard template. While working on that, I kind of like explained that to Ed and the ethos beyond DAOs and where we feel that community and culture can be seeded to grow. And once that alignment met, it just started making sense. And we were like, okay, we want to partner up on something long-term, more longer together, but let's go on a first date before we put a ring on it. And so we jumped in, started the marketplace and three and a half months later, here we are. Well, tell us a little bit more about the marketplace. There's a lot of NFC marketplaces out there. Yeah. But I know from our time earlier today at Ava how meticulous they are with what they're trying to do with supporting creators and artists. And I know from knowing Ed for several years how meticulous he is about the artist journey for where they start. So 
imagine there's some nuances here that are really important to what you guys have built and where it's going. I guess I'll like explain a little bit of my history in the arts. Ed, I know that even though he grew up with his grandmother running gallery as he was growing up and he's been in the arts space for forever, was a journalist spice for nine years and so on and so forth. So we know his art history. The way that I relate to the arts was I was actually a professional dancer for 15 years of my life. Did b-boying, popping, walking, contemporary jazz, so on and so forth. And that was going to be my profession before I jumped into crypto. Well, actually, I went to the Korean military. A kid dropped a missile on my foot. I couldn't walk for six months. And then I decided to... Were you guys on the same team? Yes. The Blizzard Fire Missile. No, it wasn't a fire missile. It's a 44.7 kilo, like, giant thing that you shoot out of a tank. And I dropped on my foot, couldn't walk. And so pivoted. But anyway, the reason that I'm explaining this is because I have a place in my heart that's deep down for artist recognition. I know that all artists struggle. And when it comes to dancers, until recently, you could get a million views or a billion views on YouTube and you can't even monetize because you're dancing to someone else's song. But anyway, so as we span into that, I started looking into the art scene and I saw how we met Ed and we got into conversation how meticulous he was and then we decided on a position and the position is that we were for the artist by the artist and that was our number one philosophy in that case and as we were trying to build culture and as we were trying to build a set of tools and a marketplace or a home ecosystem of sorts for these artists to call home we tried to look at the philosophy of what it is that we want to build and initially we are starting with a marketplace so this is just a v1 version of the actual drop of the marketplace the marketplace will probably be buggy like any piece of software that comes out for the first week to two weeks but we'll be doing feature drops on a bi-weekly to a monthly basis the differentiator for the marketplace as it sits now upon launch is is very different from anything else that's already out in the market and i know everyone says that but it's very simple we did fidgetal differently we don't have physical goods that we're offering. What we do have, and the reason that I'm calling it digital, is because we took the digital and made it physical. In the sense, Superchief started their business as an NFT gallery, and before that, a digital gallery, digital art gallery. And as Superchief has its New York, Miami, and LA galleries, it also has formed a network of sister gallery relationships all over the world. Um, NFT Factory in Paris, EM Gallery, Knox Gallery in Tokyo, other galleries throughout Lisbon, Uncommon Gallery in South Korea, and many others. So through this network of galleries, what happens is when an artist decides to exhibit work onto Supercheap, that same exhibition can now be shown and viewed across this network of sister galleries. I think as an artist, it's not always and never has been just about the money. Most of the people make money so they can do art, not the other way around. And to show art off so that people can enjoy it. Yes. I think for artists to get a global reach, to be able to have that... At the touch of a button. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. I think that's something to get excited about. And I think we're going to piss a lot of people off in the process. I think this is very disruptive. Every person that I've met from the traditional art space, this shocks them. Because the monopoly that's existed in any of these existing siloed organizations, especially the art world. The art world has been around as long as our financial policies have. It's not longer. And actually the term market making came from art. And so there are a bunch of nuances and pieces that we feel are definitely underregulated. One. And two, we see that there are lots of talents that don't get the same opportunity. And With Super Chief's curation methods and how meticulous Ed is, we wanted to allow 
an opening for primary markets of artists to be able to work using different tools to be able to dictate how their future works and how things are created themselves. Now, our first target audience as we launch the marketplace is the artist. Yes. Our second target audience, everything's changing. If you ask me personally, I would say that Singularity is coming pretty soon as we see this giant convergence of all these different technologies, whether it's AI, quantum computing, blockchain, robotics. Only. Yeah, we just started a new show, Edge of AI, and we evolved our event to sort of outer edge, sort of represent this evolving sort of convergence. I don't know when, I don't know if it's parallel paths, so to say, but there's already a lot of intersections happening. I think those intersections are going to just condense more and more to the point that everything's going to feel interconnected. I think we're getting to the next phase where you'll see these technologies actually work with each other and we'll get to see different applications of it. And what will happen in my mind, and obviously this is just my personal humble opinion, sure, is that it's like Claire Silver always talks about and says, being an artist is no longer about talent or your brush strokes or how well educated you are. It's about taste. It's about how well you can communicate and depict that taste. And in the world of AI, it's about how well you can articulate and communicate decisions and delegate tasks more than it is about how smart you are, how fast you can do something. Because no matter how good we get, I mean, maybe not now, but we're never going to be faster than computers. We're never going to be faster than robotics. To the perspective of some artists, I've heard them say that AI's creativity has already surpassed human creativity in that. I met an artist recently that said AI creates better versions of his work than he can. And he was fine with it. He kind of embraced it and was kind of enjoying the possibility for him to have this sort of extension of himself. But back to the topic at hand, we're launching in a few hours. Folks will be able to go to superchief.io and experience this market by the time they listen to this segment. What's sort of the roadmap look like? What are some of the initial drops going to be what are you excited about going forward well as we create this type of organizational structure for the original super chief artists that come in on board i mentioned that our first priority was the artists but our second priority is the collectors it's the community of everyone in between not just the collectors but like when you talk about the nft space people like forgot the rest of the, the art industry like there's just the buyers that are the investors and then there are the people who are the creators and the people who are selling and then there's the platform distributors in between like that's not how the art industry works make the paint there's entire industries that evolve around this there are people who would do the curation there are the art directors there are everything in between the lobbying of what artists end up becoming famous at the end of the day and what we'd like to do is take that power back from traditional powers and give it directly back to the people who are actively using their voice within the community and participating. And the type of tooling that we're trying to create is that in this world, there are many chances that you can have positive incentives for negative behavior. You can do something wrong to another human being, get something positive, whether that's economic or something else and vice versa. There are good things happen to bad people all the time. But what we want to create within our organizational structure is positive reinforcers for only positive actions and negative consequences for negative actors. And it doesn't just need to be purely financial as it is for most states in crypto. And so our focus is to allow and incubate the entire artist community, not just the artists themselves. So that would be the secondary priority. And how we 
intend to do that is we will be releasing a DAO structure basis in the second drop. This is, these are not the features. I can't talk about the features yet because we'll be doing blog posts and putting it out there. But what will happen is, is we want to create seated DAO tooling, not that just creates a giant DAO because organizational structure is the moment that you go over a group of 30 people, starts going down. It gets, a, it gets a little messy. Yeah. And I don't believe decision by committee has ever worked very well. So what are you going to do? So within the next six months, we plan on dropping a DAO structure that is an SDK and API first approach. So we want to give artists different pieces of tooling. You could call them sometimes even extensions for their NFTs. So different standards and come up with these different toolings that are a no code basis where you could issue tokens, where you could add features, where you could have community forums, messaging boards, so on and so forth, all from the same platform. But we're going to see this as SDKs and APIs because what we want is, is we want sub DAOs and these DAOs that already exist and these mainnet ecosystems that already have collectors DAOs that don't have tooling to be able to take our SDKs and APIs and use them directly on their site. Very cool, man. Well, I'm excited. Big fan of Super Chief and everything they're doing and I can see the alignment. I understand how you guys got together and definitely excited about what you're doing as well. We talked about how people can learn about Super Chief. How can people learn about you and what you're building in your company? Yeah, you guys can check us out at Dyant.com. And then also my pen name that I usually don't talk spell, about. Spell Dyant.com. Oh, so D-I-I-A-N-T. Dyant stands for Digital Giant Shortened. I also operate under the pen name Not Satoshi. So you guys can find any of the little works that I put online. Thanks, sir. Pleasure. Have a great night. Thanks. We love having listeners like you because you're not only generous, but you're smart and you want to maximize the impact of your generosity. Donating money to help people can be a wonderful and selfless act, but how can you feel confident that your donations are improving or saving lives effectively? You could do weeks of research to find the charities that are out there, programs that they run, how effective those programs are, and how the charity might use your money. Or you could visit GiveWell.org. There, you'll get a short vetted list of the best charities they've found at saving or improving lives per dollar. GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest impact evidence back to charities they've found. Here's an example of how we at Edge of NFT make our charitable contributions go super far. Quick search on GiveWell's website, found their maximum impact fund, clicked donate, sent crypto to their address, done. Their maximum impact fund distributes quarterly to the charities that they believe will do the most good. GiveWell accepts a broad variety of popular tokens and provides a simple way to document your donation. If you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $250 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter Edge of NFT at checkout. Make sure they know you heard about GiveWell from Edge of NFT to get your donation matched. What's up, everybody? This is another episode of the Edge of NFT podcast, and we are live still out here in Korea. Um, I have the amazing Dave Krugman with me, and I'm going to give you a little bio on him, though I'm sure he's going to have so much more to tell us. He's a New York-based photographer, crypto artist, and writer, founder of All Ships, creative community based on the idea of Tide, rises, raises all ships, and he definitely stands by that. I just listened to his panel, and it was sensational. Had a lot of great gems in there. I'm going to pack some of them, but Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. 
great, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to, to talk to you. Oh, absolutely, man. So one of the things that kind of got brought up on the panel discussion that you were having was the importance of being able to block out the haters in some capacity, right? Like there's a lot of positivity and negativity out there, but ultimately you as an artist and you're putting your art out there, you're kind of putting yourself out there for all kinds of feedback. How do you go and approach putting your work out there and being with your community without taking all the negatives so personally are? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of attract the energy that you put out. So I just try to put out really good positive energy. It's very, very infrequent that I get any sort of negativity, but when I do, I just kind of don't give it any oxygen. You know, I'm just like, you know what? Putting yourself out there as an artist is about vulnerability. I'm prepared to get some people, once you scale up to a certain degree, a certain percentage of people are going to be frustrated or have something to say or just try to make you notice them by being cruel or mean. So I just don't really give it any air and then it kind of just takes care of itself and I think that's a good way to deal with it. I think so too, man. It's bringing that positive energy and you bring that positive energy with what you're doing with all ships. So for those who don't know, can you explain what all ships is? Yeah, so you know, I think that artists for a decade now have had a really tough time with algorithmic-based social media platforms where you kind of always have to be on, you always have to adjust to these changes in the algorithm. I wanted to create a place where people could really slow down and spend more time with each other as opposed to just constantly consuming and putting out content. So I created All Ships as a way to celebrate the ways that technology can unlock so much potential for artists to thrive and to prove that a creative life is possible. So that's our goal. If people want to get involved, you can find us at allships.co. We write articles. We have a dining club. We do concerts. We want to bring people together in real life so that we can put our phones down for a minute and like really connect on a deeper level. Oh, definitely, man. Yeah. And, and being a part of this IRL, you're going to be around some other artists and like be able to have this type of experience. You were here earlier in March. You're back here now. What is so special about Seoul? Well, Seoul is amazing. I think that in the U.S., like we've been through a few cycles of NFTs and crypto already, and I'm sure that's true here too, but it just feels like the energy here is almost a little earlier. Like People are still so passionate in a way that I think we need to bring back to the U.S. with us. So I'm just really, really encouraged to see how much fresh energy is coming into this space. It's just going to be really, really excited. And the reason Seoul is because like everyone's here. You know, I want to be where the people are, yeah. <laughs> to quote The Little Mermaid, I think. It's like, it's really important when you're trying to build communities and attract people to the ecosystems that you're building to have those real life experiences. There's only so much you can do online. The analogy I like to use is like IRL events are like rebar in concrete. It reinforces the, the structures that you're building. And so every time I can, to the best of my abilities, I will show up in person and make eye contact with people, have real conversations face to face, because I think that moves the needle much more than just dropping comments online or something like that. Yeah, I agree, man. And it's been an amazing experience so far, even for myself and the team being out here and, and feeling that energy. And one of the things that people get from your art is energy and yeah. from their photography and all the different ways that you're able to capture really cool moments. Like, what is the inspiration around some of the ways that you go and do some of your different photographs? I'm just trying to capture the beauty of the overlaps of the world. There's so many circumstances kind of colliding at all times. I really think we live in this beautiful, like, natural sculpture. And I want to be inside of that sculpture, freezing moments in space time and bringing them out to a community to observe and, and appreciate. You know, life's short, and I think it's worth looking at. And I think it's worth reveling in, in the beauty of the lived experience. And it's an amazing thing that we're here at all. My art is a tribute 
to the fact that we even exist. Yeah, that's awesome. Beautifully said. I was reading how when you were first getting into this, like how you were doing stuff in like the dark shed and being able to do this and you now have like years of experience of, of doing it and I think that also helps with capturing that energy that you put into your photography. As you kind of look into the future, I know you can't tease up too much of what potentially is coming up next, but where are some places that you either like to go for inspiration or, or when you're potentially about to go in a certain location, like do you go on a vision of like, I want to capture this or you kind of let it speak to you? I just kind of let the world unfold around me and I, I try to be in it and try to be present and to look at how things interact with each other. Like photography to me is the study of space time. So it's like light hitting a certain object at a certain time of day or like the transparency of a window with someone's shadow hitting it. There's so many ways to observe and capture the world and the more you look, the more you see. So it's this beautiful game. Like photography makes life this, this incredible like journey of discovery where I'm even looking over here, like I see the way the light's coming through the window and people are silhouetted behind it and I'm just like, even without my camera on me, I'm constantly observing and learning and iterating and even just in my mind. I don't really pre-plan a lot. When I do bigger projects like Drive or Drip Drop, like yeah, I kind of pick a set of constraints and build within it and then those constraints lead me to an inevitable end result. But when I'm just making art, I'm just out there in this kind of dynamic way, just letting the world kind of wash over me. Yeah, and I think it's awesome, man. Like, you're able to see things in a, in a different light than I think others, most people don't even just see that. Like, I think most people wouldn't even think about yeah. exceptionally about like the, the light and how it's hidden in, in different ways. But with that, and some of the things you brought up, uh, drip drop, and being able to have that come out, what were some of the lessons that you learned from your initial drops that you did that you're now able to take with you as you do future ones? So I think what's really important is to understand that NFTs are digital objects. So anything you can do in the real world, you can now do in digital social spaces. And as we move increasingly into digital social spaces, those objects become more and more important. And so thinking about ways to treat these ephemeral digital objects as like real things is really interesting to me. So for example, my project Drive, I held back a big percentage of the supply so that I could gamify the experience and challenge people to tap into their own creativity in order to win NFTs off of me. And so that to me is like a really interesting way to think about this stuff. And I try to inject that sense of curiosity and sense of gamification into everything I do. I think the gamification piece is essential and people like the back and forth interaction of it, right? It's like leveling up to get to the next phase of something even greater. And your community's been very receptive to you doing that as well. Now that you've been here in Seoul and have done this a few times, what do you think are some of like the big takeaways of coming and experiencing both the Gateway and just being around other artists and just seeing the energy here? And right now in this moment as we're recording this, it is September of 2023, a lot of people are saying that NFTs are dead and that XYZ, like what's your take on where things are at and where things are going? Look, I mean, every single art movement in human history started somewhere. Like it all starts at zero and then it starts to just add layers and layers and layers. Each is like a brushstroke on this beautiful canvas and then at the end you have a masterpiece. This honestly reminds me of, I could think of a million different examples, but one interesting example is like early hip hop, right? Like these were people that were just like taking two turntables and mixing beats together at the park and like just freestyling over it. And like, it was just a few people like there's no guarantee that that was going to be a thing. But the more and more people got attracted to it, the more gravity it has. And now it's one of the biggest industries in the world, right? And so we're in that moment of like in the park with two turntables yeah. and the people who are at that in that moment with us right now, we all know 
how profoundly transformational this technology is. To us, it's inevitable. Yep. And there's no degree of NFTs or dead that is going to affect my conviction in the future of digital assets. Because I've lived it, and I live it every day, and I see the impact it's making. It's changed my life entirely. It's freed me from commercial interests in a way that I never thought would be possible as an artist. I went from doing paid posts on Instagram three years ago to selling work three times with Christie's. That pipeline is, to me, like so transformational that this space is just inevitably going to become such a force in this world. And we're just at the embryonic stages of a massive cultural movement. I agree. I'm with you on the conviction that the people that are here now and are building for that future and, and see where the vision's going, I think are going to be the winners. For everyone that wants to follow your journey, look at your art, potentially be able to get something. What are the ways that they can learn more about you and follow you? Yeah, so, you know, allships.co is where I like to write about other artists and, and celebrate the culture that we're all building together. But personally, you can find me at davekrugman.com, but also my link tree is linktree.com slash davekrugman. It has all my projects, all my social. I'm dave.krugman on Instagram and dave underscore krugman on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days. I love connecting with people. I would love to hear from you and continue these conversations online as well. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you for your time. This has been an awesome interview and I hope you enjoy the rest of your time here. Thanks for having me, man. All right, what's up, everybody? We are here at the amazing opening party, the NFT Gateway, and like this has been so amazing. I'm here with this artist, and I don't know if you see this background, but this is absolutely incredible. This is your creation. It Aaron, is, it is, it is. It tell is. us about yourself. Tell us about what you've created. So right here, we have an interactive generative art piece. Not only is the base pass generative, that's the base now pass right there, but I've run it through this program, Touch Designer, and now I've overlaid all these different effects on it with this MPC MIDI pad. And it's just a lot of fun. We can add different videos on top of it. You can add different noise patterns. The whole thing of NFT now in this pass is the signal in the noise. That's what we want to represent as a company. That's what we're doing in Web3. And this is why we created the gateway to bring new people in and like be that defining voice yeah. that brings the artists together. It really does it for the community to uplift artists, you know? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean. Everybody that's been walking through comes in here and just sits for a second because, I mean, this is mesmerizing. I remember when I first sat down and I saw you starting to mess with it, like all the different ways that this can interact. It's just, it captivates people, man. Like, I see why they got you here doing this. This is really cool. I appreciate that. I really just wanted to have something that was like truly interactive and generative. A lot of the generative projects in this place are just like static. Right. That's cool. I right. respect that. But once I was able to like learn this touch designer program, it really just unlocked. Right. I really like the concept of like adding different layers to the now pass right. that are gonna come to fruition over time. And it really comes together, man. Like as you started to mess with this, you have all the different neural things going on. Like I sat here for ten minutes, so it's just like I could watch this all day. And I feel like a lot I'm of people. Honestly, I'm inspired way. by so many of the artists here in the original now pass, like the base pass, Krista Kim's piece over there, the gradients. JN Silva is the one who inspired me to add audio to it. So right now we're like competing with the DJ, so I turn the audio off, but this whole thing is actually audio reactive. Okay. And wow. we have Medved made a set for it and it like bounces with the music and all of that sort of stuff. But the bass now passes has like this ambient generative audio that like once you find the signal, because when you're playing with this on the website, you can move the pass around with your mouse. Right. And there's different quests. It's a lot of fun. Man, it looks like a lot of fun. For everyone that wants to learn more about all the basic art and everything that you're doing, how can they do that? Go to nftnow.com. Come to the Gateway in Korea. And if you're not in Korea, stay tuned for what we're going to do in Miami. Absolutely. Heard it here first. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. 
Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy. 